0: would be glorified in this service at the presentation of your word and the gifts of our offerings we exalt the name of Jesus Christ Lord open our hearts and our eyes to give us understanding help us to know you more and because of that to love you more thank you Lord in Jesus name amen you may be seated Open God's words with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 18. Two weeks ago, as Paul pulled into Athens, we were we looked at what he saw, what he felt, and what he did. Last week we looked at, at what he said and, and, and what he was preaching. He 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 was telling the Athenians with all their gods that they have to the different uh parts of nature, to the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, to the hills and the rivers, the trees. And, And Paul preached to them that God created the universe. God sustains life. He rules the nations. God is the father of all humans, and he is the judge of the world. In chapter 17, verse 31, it says, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, through a man whom he has appointed, having finished, furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Paul is talking about there will be a day, and it's fixed. God knows when it is. We don't. But there will be a day that he will judge, and he is the only one worthy of being the judge because he's the writer of the law. He's the only one worthy to judge. And that it will be the whole world. We talked in, in Philippians 2, again, about how every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess. Not just believers. Unbelievers will on, on their way to, the unbelievers on their way to eternity separated from God and believers on their way to eternity with God. They will acknowledge indeed that he is God. And there was a the mixed reaction some wanted to hear more, some believed, and some said, you're nuts, get out of here, man. But at least he didn't get chased out of town like he had so many other times. He, this is one of the times where he wasn't beaten, bruised. But there was certainly stress, and, and that can be difficult too. So he leaves Athens, and chapter 18, he's heading over to Corinth, and after all these things, he left Athens, and and went to Corinth and and as we looked at Athens we talked about uh, the, the, the one Roman satirist Xenophon had said that that there's more it, it's easier to find a, a God in Athens than it is to find a man and every time you turned around and bumped into something you'd be a most likely a stone idol to some God and, and so Athens was the the center of the intellect and the arts and, and just to contrast it going down to Corinth, about a 49-mile track down southwest in Greece there to get to Corinth. Thank you, Stephen. For those of you who can see, we're talking from Athens down here to Corinth. It's in the yellow part over here. Athens is here, Corinth is over here. Corinth is the center of commerce. It's, it's It's not the intellectual it uh, doesn't have the intellectual vibes going on that, that Athens does. Corinth is about the commerce and trade. It's, it's uh, where at the time there wasn't a Corinthian canal and there was a, a land uh, part of the isthmus there that as you came into the western port, they would have to put your boat or your, your goods uh, on either camels and wagons or they'd roll your boat across logs to get you to the eastern port. And, and so, so it was a crossroads of commerce and trade, but it also had a reputation of being a city of extreme immorality. Up behind the city, about 2,000 feet on a hill, there, there is a, uh, the, the hill is called, uh, I'm not going to find it, I, I was going to remember this, there we go, Acro-Corinth. And on, on top of that hill was, was a flat spot where the, the temple was to Aphrodite. Or um, her other name that the you might know or have heard is Venus. She was the, their god to, to basically sex. And if you were in the city, uh, as, much, as much in Athens as you turned around and you would bump into a, a, a statue of a god... In Corinth, if you turned around, you could bump into a prostitute. And there were several thousand of them that would go about the cities seeking to find someone to worship with them to the god Aphrodites. So it was very, very immoral and dark. That's who they were. And so Paul, Paul goes from this intellectual center to this area of commerce and, and, and just wicked promiscuity. And when he gets there he finds Aquila and his wife Priscilla. He found a certain Jew verse 2, 18, Acts 18:2. 18, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he came to them. There's a lot packed into that verse. If you go to 1 Peter 1.1, it talks about the Jews being dispersed, and it talks about uh, how some of them were dispersed to the area of Pontus, and if we remember, that's up here near Bithynia. If you remember when Paul and and Silas were were leaving, uh, they were leaving Antioch here to see where the Lord would have them on the next part of their second missionary trip, they had a West to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said, "No, not there." So they headed north up here towards Bithynia and Pontius, and the Holy Spirit said, "No, not there." And so they came over here to Troas and went across to, to Philippi. But this Pontus is where Aquila is from. Don't know if it was his mom and dad, or his grandparents, or great grandparents that were with the dispersed Jews, uh, dispersed from Jerusalem into that part of the world, but he, he's a Jew by birth, and he's, he was in Pontus, he ends up in Rome, don't know if he met his wife in Rome, or if he, if he knew Priscilla from Pontus, uh, but we do know that when they leave Rome to head to, to Corinth, that they're, they're, one, they're believers, and two, that they're married. Trying to, trying to slow down just a little bit so I don't miss. And, and the reason, the reason they, were, they were sent from, or that they left Rome, was the emperor kicked all the Christians out of Rome. And the, the, the word in your text is going to say the Jews, but in, in their language, the name for Christ was, was um, what do I want to say, had different pronunciations. Uh, I'm going to see uh, Christus Christo Christus there's there should be distinction and I'm whether I'm making it clear or not there's distinctions in those three and and even even the the difficulties that Paul has had along the way when he goes to the synagogue and he preaches to the Jews first and says yes Jesus was the Messiah You, you you missed it if you didn't recognize him as the Messiah and then Of course, he would get thrown out because they didn't want to hear that. And so it was just just as Paul had all through his missionary journeys been basically thrown out or beaten by the Jews for preaching and proclaiming that Jesus was Messiah. Emperor Claudius in Rome says, I am sick of you guys fighting. Get out of here. Just leave. And he and he did. He kicked all the Christians and Jews out of Rome. Now there's question as to how how hard that was enforced in in years to go because we we find that of course Paul gets there but then uh, Aquila and Priscilla end up back there as well. So it it seems as time went away and things calmed down he wasn't so excited about them coming back. But at least for this time uh, the Lord used this to push Aquila and Priscilla to Corinth for such a time as this when Paul is there and, and to minister to Paul and to, to work on his needs. Now I'm going to take a, a, a parenthesis here. Um, I, I normally like to just stick through the text and keep working. With, but I'm going to spend a few minutes on Aquila and Priscilla. Um, they're, they're mentioned several other times in, in the scriptures in, 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 uh, in Corinthians. And, and in their ministry to Paul, but their their track is, is we found track them from Pontus to over to Rome and now to Corinth they're going to go to Ephesus and serve Paul there and from ephesus they're going to go back to Rome and then they're going to go back to Ephesus again and in their ministry uh, to paul and into um to, to go where God told them to go. There's five, five things, and I'm, and I'm using uh, a lot of this from Tony Moreta just to give credit where credit's due. Uh, just talking about this couple and the example that they were. First of all, there, there was a dynamic marriage there. They were always mentioned together. There's never one named without the other one. And so if, if you knew Aquila, you knew Priscilla and vice versa so there's something to be said for that Um, we we know people in our lives and I would even say in our family that in their married lives they spent a good part of their time apart and it's like maybe that's how it works I don't know it works for them because if they were together all the time they'd be fighting and clashing I don't know I don't know But these two, wherever they went, where one went, the other went. They were together. And and that's just a cool thing to see. Uh, The second thing was that, uh, like Lydia, Priscilla was was obviously a woman of great influence. Uh, Of the six times that Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned in the New Testament together, Priscilla's name is mentioned first four times. And in that culture, that was extremely rare. And for her to be mentioned first four of the six times that they're mentioned says a lot about her and her position uh, of responsibility, uh, whatever aspect exactly that was in the church. Thirdly, this couple was was mobile. (laughs) It made, made us, Beth and I think back when I was studying this week to our military days. And, and people say, oh man, that must be hard on the kids and that. Well, a lot of it has to do with how the parents present it to them. And to us, we always would say, oh guys, guess where we're going now, you know? Another adventure, you're going to get to meet new friends. And these guys were obviously excited about meeting new friends. But, but their, their willingness to travel, and, and you know, we, we all have different personalities, some, some people are fine just sitting in one place for 50 years or 100 years. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's the way God made you and God gives you a ministry where you're at, that's fantastic. But if God gives you the desire to travel and to, and to minister while you travel and, and do what you can, uh, the, the important thing is that we're listening to what God has for us in our lives. And Aquila and Priscilla were a couple that were very much in tune with their relationship with God. And, and they wanted to be serving where he wanted them to serve. He also gave them a business of being tent makers. And pretty much that's, that's a job you can take with you wherever you go in, in, in that culture. It was a time where you could go and, and they could make a living. Uh, and, and it seems like they were rather successful at it because uh, in a couple different places it's, it's talked about the church met in their home. And normally, as we, we remember back to Mary in Jerusalem, and Mark, uh, her son, was, was that she had a large house That's in Jerusalem. That's where the church met. And that, that leads me to the next point, is that they were very hospitable. They were willing to open their homes wherever they were. Now, we could we could take a lot of time and, and read a lot of verses uh, if you would just jot down some of these references for those that you want to, of you that want to go deeper and 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 be Bereans and make sure I'm not lying to you okay and find out what the word truly says okay um, Ephesians 18 18 and 19 1 Corinthians 16 verses 3 and 19 Romans 16. 3 and 4. 2 Timothy 4.19. Make sure I didn't say that one already. No, I did. You can make that that Romans 16, 3 and 4. You can make that 3 to verse 5. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Yep, we mentioned that one. And 2 Timothy 4.19. I had some of these under different points. But they were very, very hospitable, always opening their homes to the church, uh, as, as we see here uh, in verse 2. Let's see, and in verse 2, it, he says that Paul came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. I don't know if all their employees lived with them or not, um, but at least Paul did. And at this point, when he's in in Corinth, uh, not knowing anybody to begin with, uh, I'm no doubt sure that he met them at or near the synagogue. Because as was his custom, he started in the synagogue. He started by preaching to the Jews, giving the gospel to them, telling them that, yes, Jesus was the Messiah. So this couple was very hospitable. And and Tony Moreta tells us some things that, that will hinder our hospitality or our ability to be hospitable to one another. If we're overcommitted, In other words, we're too busy. Intentional isolation. Some people like to be to themselves. That's not healthy. It's not the way God made us. And it does, certainly doesn't lend itself to hospitality. Addiction to comfort. I have to fight that one. I love my armchair in the basement. Nice and cushy and push it back especially in the winter time we start a fire down there and it gets to be about 84 degrees no time it's hard to be hospitable when i'm laying on my back snoring okay selfishness pride wanting recognition now when i when i thank folks for for the especially the ladies for for being helpful with, with Terry the last several days, and, and even in the kitchen yesterday for the, the uh, celebration of life for Jeanette, I didn't mention your names. I don't want to take away your reward in heaven, because the, the scriptures tells us that if, if, if I were to brag on you now and list all your names, that, that that's your reward, and you're not going to get a reward in heaven, because you got it here in front of men. Now you tell me, who would you rather have your reward in front of, Jesus or each other here? Some people would rather have it here and that's why they're not given to hospitality because they want recognition. Hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. And if I haven't said it a million times before I leave here, I'm sure I will say it a million times. Guess what folks, it ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's all about him. It is all about him. And the quicker we understand that and realize it, the better off we'll be and the more harmony and love we'll have for each other and for him. We we are here to serve him. And and see, I I did keep it from last week. The quote from A.W. Tozer that we talked about last week. God needs no one. But when faith is present, he works through anyone. Okay? God needs no one. But when faith is present, he works through anyone. He wants to use us. But the more we know and the quicker we know that it's about him and not us, then we're better able to be used. And the fifth thing about this couple of of Aquila and Priscilla is that they had a Christ-centered passion. I'll give you the verse again, Romans 16, 3-4. They were co-workers in Jesus Christ. They were risk-takers because God said that he would be with them and that he would never leave them. They were willing to travel from place to place to to serve him. to, To start their business all over again in a new location. Because that's what God asked them to do. And they were willing to do it. So we have a couple that had a dynamic marriage uh, a, a woman in this, in this couple who was, who was a prominent woman like Lydia that, that wasn't afraid to step up and use her gifts. The couple was mobile, they were Christ-centered, and they were hospitable. They, one thing that could be said about them when, when is that when Christians understand the grace of God, they knew how to demonstrate it, and it was demonstrated and carried out in their life. They, they weren't afraid to be used by God in the way that God wanted to use them. Okay, end of parentheses. We'll kind of get back to the text in Paul, okay? Hmm. Paul wasn't afraid to work. He was a tent maker. And, he, and, and when there, there wasn't the funds there, there wasn't the support there, um, he wasn't afraid to work and, and to get his hands dirty verse 4, and, and he was reasoning in the synagogue, and go back to the previous chapter, 17-2. I'm not going to turn and read that, but you know that's one of my favorite verses in Acts because it says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He, he didn't reason with them on Socrates or Plato or Galileo or any, you know, whoever. He, he took them to the book. He took them to the scriptures. And of course, at that time, what they had was primarily the Old Testament. And he would reason with the Jews. He was in the synagogue. He would reason with the Jews. And he would show them from from Isaiah and Jeremiah from the Psalms that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember, we talk about Jesus Christ, the name Jesus Christ. Jesus was the name that he he used on earth that people would would walk up to him and, and know him as Jesus. The Christ on the end, the Christ to the Jew was Messiah, that he was the Messiah. And to the Gentile, it means Savior. And and Paul wanted, one, he wanted them to get it through their head that he was indeed the Messiah. To the Jews he was preaching this, he was the Messiah, but he's also the Savior. Savior. That's what he came to do. That is his whole purpose for being born as a child. Verse 4 he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas, verse 5, Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word. Now I don't know if that means Silas and Timothy went to work in the tent factory to support Paul too or not, but we know that, that they brought gifts from Macedonia. That they brought gifts from the churches there for Paul to support him in the work. And once he had that support, and that's the blessing, and I appreciate you guys for is that I don't have to work a side job you support me in the ministry and Paul here when he began he began devoting himself completely to the word because he didn't have to work with the with the tent makers anymore to for, to put food on the table he was solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ Jesus was the Messiah verse 6 they resisted and blasphemed He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to give you some references. Because we could be here till 1 o'clock if we really got into this. References, Ezekiel 3, 17 through 21. Ezekiel 33, 1 through 9, talks about the watchman. The watchman who is to, to keep an eye at the tower and to look out and see if danger or an enemy was approaching. And then he would sound the alarm, the enemy's coming. And if he did his job well and somebody, the, the people inside the city chose not to defend themselves, then their blood was on their own heads, it wasn't the watchman's fault. He did his job. He woke them up and said, guys, we got a problem, the enemy's coming, wake up. And then they'd get up and defend themselves. Nehemiah chapter 5, 1 through 6. And then verses 12 through 13. Then in the New Testament, Acts 13, 51. Matthew 10, 14. Acts 20, 26. Talks about our responsibility of sharing the gospel. But there comes a time. And and that time right here in Corinth is is in verse 6 for Paul. He shook out his garment and says, your blood is on your own hands, on your own heads. I've told you the truth. I've told you and shared with you God's word. i fulfilled my responsibility. Now I'm going to go tell the Gentiles. The watchman has sounded the alarm and you're not listening. You're not paying attention. So it's on you from here on out. The principle is very scriptural, is is the, the scriptures as you study them later that I just gave you will bear out. They resisted, they blasphemed. Basically, they mocked God. I don't think I need to say any more on that one. You don't want to go there, folks. Your blood be on your own head. I am clean from now on I go to the Gentiles. Verse 7. He departed from there and I love God's got a sense of humor. He departed from there and he went right next door to the house of a certain man named Titus Justice. A worshiper of God whose house was right next to the synagogue. (laughs) I don't know maybe you don't see the humor in it that I see. It gets better. Read verse 8. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. (laughs) God opened the eyes of the, the synagogue leader. A Jew, obviously. To the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. So, Paul goes next door to preach to, the, preach to the Gentiles, and obviously Titus Justice had a house that could hold him or whatever. He, he, here, here was a man that knew hospitality. do not know if he was married had a wife. If he did, I'm sure he relied on her for a lot of that hospitality bit too. But he opened his house and said, yeah, you come here. You come here and preach the word. And we'll, we'll, we'll bring in the Gentiles to hear that Jesus Christ is our Savior. They believed and were baptized. And just don't let that word household scare you there. We we talked about that several weeks ago. That is, as you say, Jim and I caught the bus. Jim caught the bus. I caught the bus. Crispus believed and was baptized. His household believed and was baptized. His household didn't become saved because he did, as the head of the house. Crispus didn't save his whole family. Each one of them had to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and Savior, and then they were baptized. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city, he settled there for a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. About five, six weeks ago at the beginning of Ramadan, we asked that you would pray that Muslims would have a vision or a dream of the prophet dressed in white. How many of you prayed that at all? Any time during that month? At, at, at least once. Okay, so you believe in visions, right? Uh huh. God don't limit God. He can use them. Okay, now I had some really weird dreams this week, and, and I'm not saying that those came from God. <laughs> I wonder where they did come from, honestly. Oh, my land. The, 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 do, do any of you have dreams like that? That It concocks it can up stuff of, of places you've never been in your life, of situations like, where in the world is that coming from? <laughs> Maybe I need to see a doctor, I don't know. <laughs> But God can use dreams. And that's what we pray for the Muslims. Especially with my daughter and her husband in the Middle East. It's more personal to us now than it ever has been before. To pray that they would have the vision of the prophet dressed in white. Because that gives them an opportunity. And if they know that you know that prophet in white. They they tend to ask questions then the door's wide open. If the Muslim asks the question first, you can share everything and anything with, from the, with them from the word of God. But they have to ask first. So that's why we pray that they'd have that dream of the prophet dressed in white. But God used a, a vision here to Paul to say, Paul, I've got your six. Don't worry, I am with you and I'm going to protect you. Obviously, Paul was wore out, and who wouldn't be for all the beatings he's taken? The man's nearly 50 years old, and in the last few years, he's walked nearly 2,000 miles, probably more. <laughs> who could blame the guy for being tired? <laughs> but God comes alongside and encourages them. He encourages them from the fact that Titus Justus opens his house to him. He encourages them through Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believing in the Lord. God encouraged Paul through the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla in his life. And, and, And he doesn't know it now, but further down the road he's going to encounter, and they'll go with him many times to encourage and to build him up. So, once more the challenge to realize that it's about God and his will in our lives. It's not about us. God, here's my plan. Bless it. Eh, Wrong answer. God, what's your plan? What do you want in my life? What are you willing to do with me? How are you going to work in my heart? How, how can I serve you, Father? So what does that look like this week for you? How is that going to make you different by the time you come back next Sunday and the Sunday after that? Is it going to affect your life at all? Is it going to change who you are? Write this verse down, Proverbs 21.1. Not even going to quote it if you don't know it by now haven't been here often enough because <laughs> most of you know what I'm saying when I say Proverbs 21.1 Paul planted Apollos water but it's Christ that gives the increase you have a, you have a spouse that you're praying for you can't change him Don't try to change them. You're wasting your energy and you're probably causing problems in your marriage. You can't change them. Only God can. Pray for them, love them. And in that group in the church that that you feel comfortable and confiding in, share that others would be praying with you. I know there's things that God needs to change in my heart towards my wife and my my family. My marriage, my relationship with her. Don't tell anybody, but I ain't perfect, okay? <laughs> I am far, far from it. Yeah, I see, some of, I see some of your glances with each other. Knowingly, oh no, he ain't perfect. <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to snow anybody. But we got to yield ourselves to, to God. That's how we avoid those pitfalls of not being able to be hospitable. Remember, selfishness, pride, wanting recognition, addiction to comfort. Get out of your chair, John. Like Aquila and Priscilla, are we willing to go wherever God has us to go and whatever do whatever he wants us to do? And to that part of the message I say amen and amen and I'm gonna close that and I, I wanna close with something completely different. Shirley, has it been about three years since Bill's, almost three years? Two? Okay. I have my shoes on so I didn't know how to count. Two years, May 20th, right? It's coming up. I had the privilege of doing the closing at Bill's funeral. Do you remember that? Do you remember the challenge I gave the people? Say, when we, when, we, when we do a baby dedication, say, wait a minute, you're talking about a funeral, now you're talking about a baby dedication. When, when we do a baby dedication, we bring the parents up here and the baby, and hopefully they don't cry and spit up on the pastor or kick too much. But we, 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 we charge the, the, the mom and dad to raise the child according to the scriptures but then we turn and we charge the church. You, as a body of Christ, have a responsibility to pray for this young couple and this child and to help the parents train them up in the way they should go. Well, at Bill's funeral, I challenged the group. It's the same thing, folks. We need to continue to remember and pray for Shirley after Bill's gone. And I I tell us now, We have a responsibility to Elwin. His wife went home to be with the Lord two months ago. It's been two months. People outside the family at this point stop thinking about it and they move on to whatever. The family will remember, but not even nearly as long as Elwin will. And, and you know, the cards have come and stopped and and the condolences and, and the hugs and Whatever. We have a responsibility of this man to keep loving him as the body of Christ. Have him over for dinner. Just call him, some. stop by the house. How you doing, Elwin? How's it going? And, and, and let him talk about Jeanette. Let him share those favorite memories. Because he's going to remember. And, and we, we shared yesterday, Charles Spurgeon says that that our last act of love to those that we're grieving for is our grief. That's the last thing we can do for those that have passed on, is to grieve for them and to, to, to express that's our love at being expressed. But we have a responsibility to this man. We still have a responsibility to Shirley, and I know there's others that have lost spouses before I got here. But we have a responsibility to take care of this man. To love on him. To make him cookies, to have him over, to pick him up for men's Bible study. Thank you. To, to, uh, to be there for him. And, and not, not to be awkward about talking to Jeanette. Ask him what his favorite memory is. If you were here yesterday, <laughs> I found out a lot about Jeanette that I didn't know before. What a joker she was. But let's remember, let's remember. Just because we move on doesn't mean he doesn't still have pain, all right? And as a body, we need to be there to help him through that and to encourage him. Elwin, we love you, brother, and we won't forget you. You got my word, we won't. But just as a challenge, remember that we have a responsibility, just like with parents with a new baby. To, to pray for him, to call him. Pop in and see him. Even if you can only stay 10, in fact, you'd probably rather you only stay 10 or 15 minutes, I don't know. But let's remember, okay? Father, thank you for this body. Thank you for your love for us and, and help us to keep loving on each other. And, and as Jeanette's been home with you for a couple of months now, Lord, uh, Help us to stay right alongside Elwin and be there for him and with him and to keep loving him and, and Shirley and, and those others that have lost spouses or loved ones that we'll remember and we, we just even think now of, of Mark and Lori being in Mississippi and, and Mark's mom not doing well, Father. We pray for the family and, and my understanding is that she knows you, she has a relationship with you and for that we're very grateful, Father. But it still hurts when she goes home. And so we just pray that as that time nears, that you would be with Mark and Lori and that family. To know your presence and to know your peace, Father. Thank you for this day, Lord, and and help us to remember you throughout it. Not just to, oh, we're done with church for the week. But, Father, as, as we go through our day, to walk with you and to talk with you. And we thank you in your son's name. Amen. We are dismissed.